What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Another episode of Subject to Change. Today, we have Alex Bazell. You may know him as, you know, one of the best basketball trainers in the world. I got to meet him a few summers ago. Uh, his portfolio of, of guys that he's trained with and trained alongside is ridiculous. Alex, thanks for jumping on the show. Really excited to talk to you about Kobe and just everything that you've done, you know, with your business and the model that you, you've shown. Of course, bro. I appreciate you having me on. What's been going on? <laughs> Not a whole lot. Trying to trying to adjust to a, a very different world. How is it? You're in LA, right? You just flew out. Yeah, I just got out here yesterday, so I'll be out here for two or three weeks, and then, as you know, everything's kind of changing. So I don't really make long term plans anymore. <laughs> what's uh What's life been like since quarantine hit and everything kind of changed? Anything different um, on your end? I mean. Yes and no. I mean, yes, because obviously the whole world's a little bit stuck. Um, so what's crazy is I signed the lease here in LA and I usually, you know, I'll, I'll go back to, I have a house in St. Louis with my fiance Nafisa. And so we have a house there and I've been there almost the entire quarantine um, because our plan is usually show up to LA in April. We start our pre-draft then, um, you know, the vets start coming in in late May, early June. And then I'm here until training camp starts, which is, you know, they leave mid September. So I go back to St. Louis, but now it's like, <laughs> we don't know when the off season is going to be. We don't know when even the draft's going to be. We don't know when uh, the season's going to start back up. So everything's just kind of in limbo still. Yeah. What's it been like, obviously, I mean, before we even really get too deep, I'm going to let you run with it. Those of, you know, my, viewers and people who watch this on a consistent basis a lot of them are probably going to know you but those that don't give me give me your two minute intro this is you know who you are and you know I know your story kind of through college and, and everything but I want you to let them know kind of what this has looked like in the last 10 years for you and building a business yeah um so you know I started you know I played in college I, I played uh, low d1 played d2 went overseas and played one year in Germany um, and I kind of fulfilled everything I wanted to from a playing standpoint. And then, you know, I, that's when training was kind of taking off a little bit. It still wasn't nearly as big as what it is now, but I decided, you know what, I want to try to get to the top of the game and I think I can do it if I become a trainer. And I think if I start now rather than play eight years overseas and then start, I think I can get there. Right. Um, so that was kind of my whole mindset. And I started just training local players, uh, in St. Louis. So we started off with like 35 kids. The next summer it went to 80, the next summer it went to 200. Um, and then 2016, I kind of got my first crack with training professionals. So, uh, my college roommate and best friend, um, was Kirk Corver, Kyle Corver's youngest brother. And Kirk introduced me to Doug McDermott and Doug was kind of the first guy that gave me a shot. Um, so I went down to, uh, I think he was in OKC. No, he was in Chicago at the time. So I went up to Chicago and worked out with him a couple times. From then I met Bobby Portis. Um, and just, it kind of just kept snowballing. Um, yeah. So when Doug was on OKC, I went down there and I got a call from someone at Mocan and they were like, Hey, we have a kid named Trey Young. We would, you know, can you find time to work him out? I, and swear to God, I'd never heard of Trey in my life. Like I didn't follow high school basketball like that. Right. Um, I knew of Mo Can, of course, like I knew of Michael Porter Jr. because he was a Missouri kid. Um, and everyone's like, we think this kid's probably better than him. And I was like, all right, well, shit, I'll take a look at him. You know, I'll yeah. see what he's got. So I shut up there and, you know, he walks in the 
in the gym and you know Trey Trey's not the most imposing athlete you'll ever see no within like 10 minutes I was like this kid's just unbelievable like his feel the way he moves was so different um and he's obviously a great dude and he I consider him a little brother of mine so we've been working since his senior year of high school um so you know that relationship's obviously continued to grow and he's done incredible things um and just recently like the last I, I want to say the last maybe year and a half, two years is when I kind of really, I felt arrived on the scene of training. So um, just the last year and a half alone, um, Kyrie Irving and Carmelo Anthony became full-time clients of mine. Um, at the time, Melo was kind of out of the league. Um, so I went through that whole experience with him. And then Kyrie was transitioning from Boston to, to Brooklyn. Um, so I was kind of on the ground level with all of that. Um, so it was just very, very unique um, experiences that I've gotten in the last two years alone. And then uh, probably the most valuable thing that I've, I've kind of gained within this industry was Kobe Bryant became one of my biggest, probably my biggest mentor when it came to just player development. So I was around him shit, probably two or three times a week uh, for the last three years, training Gigi and working with him and his team. And so it was just like unbelievable experiences from one thing to the next. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it starts out, you're in St. Louis. Is that where you were? You were born and raised in St. Louis. Is that correct? Yeah, I grew up in St. Louis. So I've spent my entire life there. So you get out of college, you finish up, um, and then you you open up. What was the original plan to be like an individual trainer? Because I, I mean, any anybody in the basketball world right now knows that everybody and their brother thinks that they can do basketball training or training of some sort. I mean, right? They, they feel that they need no qualification or whatever and that's just not the case right what, what what was your like vision coming out was it literally just you from the start in St. Louis like all right I'm gonna run these like youth camps what did it look like early on yeah I you know I I started with just running a camp and it was right after I graduated and you know how like NCAA rules you're very limited with using even your own name and likeness which I right. think is changing next year which is great but uh, at the time, I wasn't allowed to do anything in terms of using my name. And, and in St. Louis, my name was, you know, fairly a strong name when it came to when it just came to basketball. So, you know, right when I graduated, I ran a camp before I went overseas. We got, you know, over 100 kids that attend. So it was a great turnout. And then I started kind of marketing my individual camps, I guess you could call it or workouts. So yeah. Um, that's when it kind of led to 35 kids working out from April all the way up till October. So the whole plan for me was actually to go back overseas because I felt like I could do both. Yeah. Um, and then once we reached that fall of heading into where I had to make a decision of go back overseas or continue with training, like we had 80 kids that were training at the time. And I was like, I'm making just as good as money here, if not right. more. And I continue to get to be around and maybe, you know, get out to some NBA games and connect with people and do all that. So that was kind of the whole decision behind it. It, it wasn't a huge here's step one, two, three, and four, because within the industry, there's no, there's no real way to do it. And honestly, yeah. with any profession, like you kind of have to find your own way. Yeah. Um, it's great to have people that you can rely on for guidance um, so like Drew Hanlon was someone that I had communicated quite a bit with early on. He's another St. Louis guy at the time he had, I believe it was just a few guys. Like I, 
I helped him with his pre-draft with like Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. And so like, that was like his first real big pre-draft. So he was kind of growing too. So it was interesting to be able to kind of be around that and learn and um, kind of go through some things together. But he was in terms of training, he was one of my first initial people that I leaned on. Yeah, no doubt. What's, what's the biggest thing? When did it take that, like, did it have a gradual, like, your training and the business that you've built now to, you know, having, you know, a portfolio that's as good as anybody else in the country or in the world uh, when it comes to basketball training? When did it take from to, from the start? This is more just me asking because I'm curious and like to see how this kind of stuff works. Where did you see the biggest jump in terms of the business end of it and creating, like, you know, like, when did you know, like, I really got something here? You know what I mean? Like when it kind of took off. Well, from a business standpoint, there's two ways to answer that. From a business standpoint, like a strictly just monetary look at it. um, I knew right away, almost like, hey, this is something that's sustainable long term. You know, I have great connections in St. Louis with gym access and all that, you know, all the things that you need. Um, And I had built up great relationships with just the area coaches. So it was very easy to kind of just build that brand that way. But in terms of kind of being known around the country and around the world when it came to player development, it was really in early 2018 after people knew that like Kobe had given his stamp of approval with me. Like that, that's the ultimate, you can't, you can't pay for that kind of marketing or brand exposure. Um, Because once Kobe approved something, everyone kind of falls in line of what that looks like. So it, that was like the ultimate. And for me, I grew up a Kobe guy. So like there was nothing more gratifying than for him to say, Hey, I really love what you do. I want you to work with my daughter because it's like, as you know, basketball is, it's a huge, it's a business, right? So like you, you consider your brand, your business, your game is your business. So when you step on the court and you work on your player development, that's setting yourself up for the future. And for Kobe, not only just to, it's one thing for you to trust someone in your own game, but when it comes to like your kid and trusting someone with that development, I think that even speaks to a higher volume because that's completely out of your control. You know what I mean? So like, if you're like, Alex, I need you to come and work out from boom, boom, boom. You still have a fair amount of control and skin in the game in that. Right. So even if I'm teaching you something, you can filter it and say, okay, well, I need to specify it and do it this way. When it comes to someone else, you have no control over that. And Kobe was completely hands off with that whole experience, which was the most interesting part because for me it was like, this dude, I consider him and KD the two most unstoppable skilled athletes that have ever stepped on the basketball court, right? Yeah. Just from a skill standpoint. So for him to say, hey, this is this is everything I want you to do. It looks great. I don't have anything to say. That was That was the ultimate stamp of approval for me. We sat down as a team and said, all right, Kobe Day is coming up. You know, they just announced um, that Kobe Day is official and it's happening. Um, so they were like, who are we going to bring on that can really drive home? We've had Sharif O'Neal come on here, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a family member essentially, and talk about what Kobe meant to him. Um, and he told so many great stories. But when we're sitting down, I'm thinking, you know, Alex, Alex Basil is a guy who we can uh, bring in and he's going to tell us, not only about him and what he is off the court, but Gigi, you know, women's basketball, where it's going. So, so how did, how did that connection you and Kobe, how did that start? So crazy enough, my fiance Nafisa played at UConn. She's in the WNBA right now. Um, But she 
she had met Kobe a number of times because he had come to games and all that at the final four. And, um, you know, he had reached out and was like, Hey, do you mind coming? And I know you're in LA. Do you mind coming through and working out, you know, for our team? And she's like, of course. So, you know, I go down there and work her out in front of Kobe and the the girls. And it was hilarious because it was like, we kind of figured she was just going to jump in and like show them some things and like goof around a little bit. But it was literally like, these sixth grader girls just sitting under the basket watching dead silent and her just going through a workout, like a full hour long workout, like her normal workout. So like it was a little bit awkward at the start because it's like, it's silent. It's just right. her and me. And we had one guy helping. Um, and it was just him observing the whole time of like what she was doing, talking to the girls, like, you know, like, so that was a very unique way of, you know, after that workout, I had a chance to talk to him for 30 minutes and just kind of, I was just trying to pick his brain. Like, you know, what are you seeing? What do you think she can improve? What am I doing? What can I do better? Um, so like that conversation, I was, you know, again, I grew up a Kobe guy. So like to get that experience was like the ultimate thing for yeah. me so I kind of figured that would be it I'm like oh that was just an awesome experience I got my picture we're out yeah. um, and then I get a call it was like a month later and I get a call and I don't ever really answer that numbers I don't know right um, so it was Newport Beach I didn't answer he shoots a text right after hey Alex it's Kobe give me a call <laughs> so of course it's like you declined like, Kobe Bryant's call yeah not not ideal way to start the relationship <laughs> oh, but not great so Nafisa had his number. I was like, hey, is this like actually Kobe Bryant um, or just like a random Kobe? So she's like, no, that's him. So I call him. He flies me out to L.A. We put the girls through what he calls like hell week. So it was hilarious. These girls are like 11, 10 years old at the time. And, you know, Kobe just a maniac when it came to player development because they were all like, I want to play at UConn or I want to play at Oregon. I want to play at Stanford. And he's like, all right, yeah, we'll see. We'll see yeah. if you really want it. Yeah. So these, we put the girls through three a days on the court. Okay. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, two hours of peace. Three a days, six hours on the court, Friday, Saturday. And we ended up Sunday. We just cut it out. Like the girls were so mentally exhausted. They were like breaking down in tears. <laughs> so like, he's like, all right, yeah, it's probably it for the weekend. Yeah. Um, but that was my first experience with it. And after that, you know, I was moving out to LA anyway. So he was like, let's do something consistent. So that, it kind of like the relationship just kind of blossomed from there. That's insane. So he put, he put a group of 11 year old girls through hell week because that that's the most Kobe thing I've ever heard in my life because you'll, you'll have parents and their kids will be like, yeah, I want to go here. I want to play at Duke or I want to do this or that. And then they'll be like, yeah, little Johnny, you you can do that. Or, you know, Susie. Yeah, for sure. But he's like, okay, we're going to find out right now. That is crazy. They must have signed waivers or something like that going into that. And also think about it, like, you know, Kobe retired in 2016. This was the end of 2017. So it's like he's fresh off of, like, being the biggest name in basketball and still arguably was at the time. Yeah. So for him to be like, hey, this is the plan we're going to put your kid through, what are they going to say? No, I don't know, Kobe. I don't know if that's the way to do it, you know? <laughs> I got a better so, idea. Okay. Yeah. So they're like, all right, I'm not real sure, but who am I to tell Kobe what to do? Um, but what's crazy is that wasn't even like the extent of it. Like they did weight training. They did like some mental prep stuff, like all up at Mamba Cat. Like it was just un- like they were, they were there from like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Like oh my doing recovery. Goodness. My goodness. So like he, he's nuts. Like he's actually oh, like, yeah, he's- that, 
Like he eats, sleeps, breathes, everything that. Like, yeah. oh man. So how how is he with Gigi though? So because you got parents who are like, oh, real. What are, I I'm assuming he's not real. You know, cuddly with her. I'm sure you know it wasn't that when you know during this hell week or anything like that. Mm-hmm. How was he with her? Well, you know what? It wasn't. You know, Kobe was never like he was never very hard. Like he was hard on the girls in games. Yeah. But when it came outside of games and practices, like he was, he was extremely patient. Like he was like the, like the way you saw Kobe with the Lakers, he was like the opposite of that with the girls. So like all the girls just adored him. Like he, really? yeah. Like the girls couldn't wait to get to practice because he knew that like, you can't burn them out. Like they don't think the same way as you do, or as right. like even a 13 year old, right. the way you thought wasn't, you know, it's probably not the same. So with Gigi, he was very patient. He was very encouraging. She honestly was a little bit more feisty when it came to it. Like she didn't deal with his shit that much. So like yeah. she would snap back at him and he's like, all right, well, relax for a second. Like she yeah. was, he was fiery, but he, uh, yeah, he was, I mean, he was great with all the girls and he, he knew that like, you know, there's a time and place to kind of yeah. be stern, but his goal wasn't for them to be the best seventh or eighth grade team. It was just like, if these girls want to play at a high level in college, I want to be able to make sure they're taking all the necessary steps to get there. So it wasn't like a short-term race. So he had no reason to really get upset that often. Yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely a long-term thing. And I feel like everything that he did, whether it was on the quarter off was let's think five, 10 years down the road here, let's not be this short-minded. It's got to happen today type thing. Um, So these 11 year old girls, they're not intimidated by the fact that they have arguably the best player in the world as their coach. Like he made them feel, as though this was like, hey, this is all us working towards a common goal. Forget that I'm Kobe. I'm just trying to help you. Like, how interactive was he with the girls? Well, you know what? Like, well, he was there every single practice. Like, every single night they practiced five days a week. He was there every time. He was running the full workout and practice. Um, But the girls were so young when he was even, like, finishing. Like, a lot of them – and you know how it is with young kids, like – especially young girls, they're probably not following that closely when it comes to that kind of stuff. So like the parents were more so like, this is crazy what's happening. Like our daughters don't realize that arguably one of the best players of all time is taking time out of his day to train and work with my daughter. The girls never really thought of it that way. Like they called him coach Bryant. So like they didn't, and like I would, I was like, am I the only one thinking this is just like the weirdest thing that's yeah. happening right now? Like that's Kobe Bryant. That's not Coach oh. Bryant. <laughs> so oh, it was that's, weird. Funny. that's unreal. You got any you got any stories that stick out, whether it's whether it's with, you know, his Mamba Academy, that girls team, um, off the court stuff, anything that sticks out in terms of one of your favorite stories about, you know, being with him, like you said, two or three times a week for a few years. Yeah. No, I think you know, there's so many that come to mind. I think one of my favorite, my favorite experience just with, with Kobe was, um, so he introduced me to Kyrie. And so I started with Kyrie last May. Um, so over a year and three months ago. And so he came right after the Milwaukee series with Boston and he kind of helped the girls out with one of their practices. And we sat down there and we're just talking and you know, Kyrie was like, hey, I don't really have anyone. Do you mind coming out to New York for the next couple of weeks and working out? So I was like, of course. You know, so I 
you know, I talked to Kobe and I was like, Hey, like right before I left for New York, this was probably four or five days later. And I was like, Hey, do you mind helping me kind of prep? Cause I need to know, you know, what, are, what would you do kind of Cause it like Kyrie, a guy like that, like I'd never worked with someone who had already kind of been at the top. Right. And there wasn't a lot for him to really fix. Like I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I needed to kind of follow up with Kobe and see just different ways to approach it too. Because that mentality of like, once you've experienced that much success, it's, you know, for me, it's like, how do I get through to him and how do I get him to realize this is what we need to do? So Kobe, he's like, sure. Let me meet me at Starbucks at 6am on Saturday. My flight was at like 11. And I was like, all right. So I drive down to Newport and we meet at Starbucks at 6am and people are walking in and they're like, is that Kobe Bryant just sitting down? <laughs> and so like we went, we sat there and we went over film for probably 30 to 40 minutes on Kyrie where we're just sitting and like going back and forth about like, here's what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? He's like, well, I see this. And he's like, here's how you, you know, I would approach it with Kai, like say this. So, and, and what's great is like Kyrie, what a lot of people don't realize some people do, but Kyrie was probably the closest to Kobe of current guys in the league. Um, when he passed away, like they were in constant communication, like Kyrie FaceTime Kobe from the locker room when they won the finals, like that close, you know? Really? So it's like, like he was a little brother to Kobe. So Kobe knew the way his personality was and like knew how to get through to him in different ways. And Kobe and Kyrie are very similar. Like they're both killers when it comes to the fourth quarter, but like right. Kobe's whole thing with him was like, how do we set this up? You know, like, here's what I think he's doing wrong here's the way I would go about it. So like we sat and talked for 40 minutes, 30, 40 minutes at Starbucks about that. And then we talked about another 20 minutes about a business that I'm now getting ready to launch. Like, so it's just like crazy to me that just that meeting alone has really just kind of changed my entire life. And for him to just take the time out to do that, you know, on a Saturday morning when you know, that dude can be doing a million other things that I felt like were more important or better for his time to do. But yeah. he just that's just how he was. He was so gracious with his time. He would go out of his way to text me about, you know, Nafisa's game or if Trey had a good game, he'd be like, yo, he's killing it. Like, love what's going on. Like, just stuff like you wouldn't expect even like family members to do, you know? So yeah. it was cool for him to just go out of his way. I, I love I love the fact that he starts his Saturdays at six a.m. Like the the you hear all the stories and it's like oh Kobe was in there and and I've listened to every uh, YouTube video of Kobe talking whether he's sitting down like in a TED talk scenario or you know whatever post post career during career all this stuff interviews and you hear it you know four a.m. I was doing this I wanted to get this done by so I could have the rest of my day at noon you know yep. and I'm done before people are even rolling out of bed. Um, no, what's it, crazy, it, no. what's crazier is, so I tested that theory because I thought he was full of shit. Cause I was like, what do you do now? Like, what's your routine? Right. He's like, well, I wake up at four, I go lift and I come back. I make Hold the, he still w woke up at four when it was yeah. post, post career, yeah. post Lakers, everything. So I tested it. I, I had to get up for an early flight. My flight was at like six. I, I got up. So I, I shoot him a text at four fifteen. Like I shot him a text and two minutes later, bing, like it goes off and he responds like we're in a running conversation. So like he was up and like in his, so I knew his strength trainer really well because his strength coach came and did stuff with the girls, Brennan. And he's like, yeah, bro, he's insane. Like he, he wanted, like, he loved the fact that he could finally, like he could never get like super strong, 
but like he was finally getting that way after he retired because he would yeah he was spending so much time on the court and burning so many many calories like it was hard for him to keep his weight up yeah so that's just like I'm like this dude's insane so yeah, the he four, would up four a.m. Court. four a.m. theory theory of Kobe Bryant is 100 percent real yeah, that's it's true and, and, and the crazier part even is that's after retirement that's yeah. when that's when he's done everything he's can do on a basketball court. And, and you got not only that, but you sit down at 6 a.m. at Starbucks and have a – I've watched all the details, too, you know, multiple times through, especially Kemba Walker. The one with Kemba is probably my favorite one. Yeah. But is he that detailed when it comes to just everything in his life? Is he really, like, yeah. with He's, everything? Yeah, he was, he was maniacal with just his process. And even with the way, like, like it's crazy because when – I guess the best way to explain it is he's a hundred percent engaged with whatever he's doing in that moment. And like, even when it came to a conversation, a guy like that who probably has a million things going on and you know, he's running all these different companies and um, like his family was the number one priority for him. Like he never allowed anything to come between like his focus and love for like his family and like the, just everything that was going on around him like that. I think that's something I tried to take away more than anything. Like when you're, when you're doing something, just be 100% locked in with it, even if it's a, a conversation with a person that you may never talk to again. Right. Because, like, he, he – I think he understood, especially then, how much of an impact just one conversation of him having with someone would have on their lives. So, he was just unbelievable when it came to that stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, no doubt. I, I've, you know, seen it, heard it, you know, wanted to, to get firsthand what it was really like confirm some things about you know his work ethic his focus his attention to detail and the reason he's got that you know that still plays on on ESPN uh the app and stuff like that um but you also you know outside of Kobe and and Trey Young you you got some young guys and I got a chance to actually meet um virtually meet as uh, most of my generation does now we virtually meet each other uh Sky Clark you know a guy that uh, you know, you know very well and, and are, are working with and stuff. Um, what, did, what did, you know, the, the, tra- like the tragic event that happened with Kobe, you know, leaving us way too soon, what did that do to guys like Sky? Does, does that, you know, do they ever talk about it? Is that something that every time he steps into a gym, does that shift focus, you know, for him? Does, you know, does, does he take stuff from Kobe or stories that you have or, you know, during workouts, Kobe does this? Um, or did that, does it, does that affect your younger guys as they're working out right now? Um, I don't, I mean, I think it affects everyone to a certain yeah. extent. I think just the way he was able to inspire so many different people of so many different backgrounds, like even, it doesn't even have to pertain to basketball, just the way he carried himself, especially, you know, towards the end of his life with like, and this is something I talk about all the time is he never trying to think of the best way to, to word this, but you always kind of knew where he stood on things, right? He never, he never really left anything up to interpretation. Like he, everyone knew his foundations of his beliefs and like what he held to the most value. And I think even progressing the women's game and, and giving them more of a voice of on the men's side, uh, those were all important things. So I think when it just comes to the younger generation, I think, just understanding how much work and focus that it took for him to get to that level 
And I think that's why he was so at peace. Like he never talked about even entertaining coming back because he knew that he left zero cards unturned on the table. You know, like he, he did, he played everything he had, he put everything behind it and he was able to live comfortably with the results that came from it. Uh, and I think that's something that, you know, a lot of kids need to understand is like it, it comes and goes quick. And the last thing you want to do is look back and be like, damn, I wish this, or I wish this. And that's something he never, he never did. Yeah. Re- regrets. I think, especially for athletes, uh, because everything, in an athlete's life is, is measured out and compared to the next athlete to the right or the left of them. Right. And I guess just people in general, everybody's comparing themselves. Uh, but an athlete, I think the biggest fear for all athletes is sitting there in, you know, 10 years um, and being like, damn, I wish I would have, you know, been in the gym on those Friday nights instead of doing this in high school, or I made it to college, but I could have played in the league if I did, you know, the, the, the have nots, you know, that kind of stuff is something that people fear, but obviously Kobe not being somebody like that. Uh, and I didn't know that he never entertained it. And that's kind of cool to hear that he was super at peace with what he had done in the league. And not only that, but you talk about how many guys he affected. Um, you know, I almost moved past this, but I want, I want to talk a little bit more about him and Kyrie's relationship. And because Kyrie's a little bit, you know, he's, he's different. All these guys, all these guys at that level are different and you get to experience it firsthand. How does, how does Kyrie and Kobe on a, you know, mentally and spiritual level relate and why does that make their relationship so special? And like you said, um, you know, all the way until the end, they were, you know, on constant contact. Well, I think they're, they're very similar because, you know, Kai and Kobe both will just kind of say how they feel and it's, it, they're very transparent you know, they lead in a way where if, if something's not right, they're going to be the first one to speak up and address it. Um, and they're both champions, you know, like you can't, you can't always have it both ways. And that's something that like, he doesn't get enough credit for, you know, like the media always tries to portray things a certain way, but all he's really cared about is as long as he's solid with the group of guys in the locker room, the media is always going to try to take and run with something, whatever, however way they can to get clicks. So he understands that that's just a part of it. And LeBron's had his fair share of stuff too. So it's like, it doesn't matter who you are. They're they're always going to nitpick when you're at the top. Um, But I think the most important thing for Kyrie that he's, he's kind of always had Kobe to rely on because Kobe was never like Kobe was hated by a lot of people, you know, like throughout his career, then all of a sudden like the last year came and everyone loved him. Yeah. So like, you know, the way people know him at the end of his career was totally different the way he was when he was in his prime. So I think he could relate to Kyrie in that sense. And I think they both, you know, they both had played with dominant players Yeah. where, you know, they probably felt like, I don't think I'm getting enough respect for the work that I've done or the championships that have been won. So they were able to relate on so many different assets of just the game and life and how they carry, you know, how they carry themselves. And uh, I think Kobe respected most about Kyrie was he never backed down and he never, it didn't matter. Like I'm sure you've seen the clip of them at USA basketball arguing about playing one-on-one. Right. Yeah. Like Kyrie, there's very few guys that Kobe respected in that sense. I think in the league, they never shied away from confrontation. They never shied away from, stepping into a big moment and saying, no, this needs to get done this way. And right. if, if it fails, it's going to come on me, but I'm okay with that. 
Right. Um, so like even it, it was funny, a story based on that is, you know, Kobe had that invitation on Mamba Academy um, and Phil Handy was kind of the guy that was heading everything. So like Kyrie was there, a ton of guys were there, like PG and Kawhi came and watched, they didn't play. But right. I remember there was an instance with um, Kyrie and Jamal Murray and they were kind of going back and forth and then we were scrimmaging. Yeah. And Kyrie was hitting shots, then Jamal was hitting shots, and it came down to game bucket. And it was something happened where it was like a switch. Like they got a ball screen, and Jamal Murray switched off, and it was someone else. And Kobe goes, Hey, uh uh-uh. uh, no, you guard him. No, nope, you're not doing that. So, like, it was hilarious because he challenged him. Oh, and yeah. Jamal, I think it, it helped him because he's still, he's so young. Yeah. But Jamal, like, he was going, he was right up there with him. But I think for just a guy like, anyone in the league to get that experience of that first like damn I can't you know Kobe was this way and he still like he was angry that he didn't want that challenge that, that he sees that one little thing that's yeah. and, I, and I think that's and that's something that could have changed the entire outlook and look what Jamal Murray's doing right now in the playoffs like that yeah. could have changed his entire career that one little moment that he had one so just the players. impact he's he was able to have with current players was just unbelievable that's crazy. What what was uh what was Kyrie, you know, his personality like when you when you're working with him on a, you know, consistent basis in New York like you talked about? How is he different than the next guy? Like when you're working out with him, I I don't know him personally. I've never met Kyrie, whatever. I've watched him play um arguably the most skilled player in the league right now, uh for sure at his position. I don't yeah. I don't know who else you would you would go with, but um Something about him, you know, he's very straightforward. He's very transparent. He doesn't really care if you like what he says or not, which I love about him and I love about anybody who's like that. Um, but how is he just, you know, personality-wise? I just feel like, you know, he's extremely spiritual and he's out, outspoken about it. But I don't know. There's just something that there's different about him. Do you see that when you're with him? Um, no, I, I mean, to me – at the start, I was, of course, with any client, I, I try to feel out like who they are, what the personality is, what they like, they dislike, what, you know, how I can motivate them, what I need to stay away from. So that's a learning experience with anyone. But the more I got to know Kai, he was very transparent with me of like, hey, here's my goals. Here's what I want to do. Um, and here's how I think we can get there. But he was always asking questions like, what are you seeing? You know, so like he's not a guy that thinks he knows everything either. And I think, again, that's something the media tries to portray because Kai was he's very open about, damn, I just need to do this better. Like, so I'll send it. I would send him clips. I'm like, hey, I'm not sure if you're seeing this, but here's what I'm seeing. And then that the, the conversation starts of just it might just be a text conversation. So yeah. he's very honestly like you know, very normal when it comes to everything like that. People just try to make him out to be this crazy right. Kanye type person. He's just yeah. not, he's just not that way when you, like, and maybe he, I think he's put his guard up a little bit more when it comes to media because of the unfair shake that he's had within it. But you know, when you're just around him, his personal life, like he take the thing I admire most about Kyrie is how he takes care of his people. Anyone in his, in his circle, he's making sure everyone's eating. And I think that's something that, you know, I've taken from him and try to implement into my own life as well. Yeah. No, no, for sure. I think it's weird how, how the, the media, especially at the NBA and professional level, has this way of like almost handpicking, choosing guys, and they try to write the narrative of like who they are when, you know, never having really been around them, know anything about them and stuff. It, 
you know, it's, it's definitely frustrating, but you know, Kyrie's always been somebody who hasn't shied away from it. I don't think, but um, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about uh, Gigi. Um, I know you uh, in women's basketball, also obviously Kobe and everything that he's done for the game um, on that side, which uh, we've talked about on the show, you know, multiple times with Sharif, I know, and a couple other people, um, you know, you said Gigi was fiery. Obviously she, you know, gets that from somewhere, most likely pops, I'm assuming. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what, where did you see her headed and what separated her from, you know, just like her father separated himself from everybody else, you know, what made her different? Um, well, I mean, her competitive spirit was unlike honestly any 13 year old I've really ever seen like girls or boys. Yeah. Um, like when she stepped on the court, it was, you were literally looking at Kobe. Like it was just like her focus. She was never like smiling or giggling like that. After the game, she was like unbelievable, bubbly, great. Yeah. Um, but when she stepped on the court, she was like, she was that. And from what Kobe told me too, like, like Vanessa's that way. Like, yeah. so she got the mixture of both of them, like yeah. <laughs> wrapped up into one. So, um, but when it came to just strictly skill, like I've never seen a 13 year old able to make a fadeaway and I've never seen a 13 year old, a righty be able to shoot over their left shoulder, right? Fadeaways right. going this way are easier because you're already lined up when you have to fade and turn and jump and have that power and yeah. for her to keep it smooth. She, I mean, she was going to the league period and she was yeah. probably going to be one of the top players there. Like, I mean, it's hard enough for me to get NBA pros to know how to do that comfortably. Right. But for her as a 13-year-old before she's really hit puberty to be able to do all that smoothly and it yeah. looked fluid, yeah. it's – I mean, she she kind of had everything. That's incredible. I mean, you know, and talk more about where you see just the WNBA in general. You're very, very tied in with your fiancé, correct? Yep. You know, with, uh, with her being in the league right now, um, you're seeing support – not only from the NBA side, but just as I think a you know world like around us right now, there's growing support and it's finally moving in the right direction. Um, you know, what do you think? What do you think either has to shift in society's eyes of WNBA basketball or them as an organization? Because you you see it and you're involved in it a lot more than other people. Where yeah. do you think you know this is headed in the next you know ten to twenty years, and what makes it? Uh, something that people should be watching and, and uh, you know, putting attention towards? Well, I think the number one thing is just continued exposure. And I think it's, it's helped that, you know, they have a new TV deal. They're getting more national games. Um, I think they're doing a better job of marketing players. And I yeah. think it's not necessarily the league because the NBA is extremely smart. Like you see LeBron, you see Luca, you see Trey. Like you see the guys that are going to push and drive right. sales. And I think the WNBA has figured that out in the last couple of years to where it's like, damn, we have a lot of stars that people love. Like, let's yeah. just start pushing them and then they'll naturally come to the WNBA product. So, and, and the last thing is the products just continue to get better. I mean, there's only 12 teams in the league, right? So you're talking about 144 of the top women in the world, as opposed to like the NBA's closer to 400, 450. So it just, the barrier of entry is so much higher to be able to get there. Um, so, and, and, you know, the games, just like the men's side, the younger players coming in are so good. 
Like yeah. they're just, they're just so good. So they're making this huge impact and you're going to continue to see that for the next 10 years, just with the development of skills continuing to kind of be a big thing. And then athletes just becoming bigger, stronger, faster. It just is naturally always happens. So I think that's kind of the progression of where the WNBA is going, but the steps they've taken just in the last two years alone have been, have been great. Yeah. Me too. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, part of it's marketing, part of it's just like, you know, society's got to catch up with some stuff that, you know, has been wrong for a long time. I mean, some of the most talented, you know, players that I've seen are on the, on the women's side, some of the most skilled players, some of the most, you know, just intelligent and fun to watch, you know, players. I sit down and I try to do as much as I can here because at WVU, we have a, you know, phenomenal women's program. And, you know, we're sending, um, we just had, uh, I think one or I think two, no, one player got drafted last year. The other one came back, and she's going to be going out this year. Uh, one went out actually towards you for the for the Sparks, um, Tynese Martin. She is yeah. Uh, she's she's a dog. But you know um, what? And the, I think people are going to start realizing how good they are too. Like you know, I'm around it every day. Like even like I I like playing one on one with my clients just so because at some point like they have to try these moves live. Right. And am I am I as good as someone Kyrie's going to face? No, not at all. But I'm probably better than an intern that we could grab. You know, I right. could probably give him better a look. So, right. like playing against like a Kyrie or Melo, and then going to play against Candice or my fiance. Like, obviously the skill sets are different, but the way they understand the game and how they can go get buckets. Like, it's anyone who sits there behind a keyboard and's like. Uh, that you know, get back to the kitchen. They probably wouldn't score if they played to eleven. Like to be, oh, absolutely not. Like not even close. So it's it's just hilarious that people still don't really realize how good they are and how physical they are. Like it's it, like my fiance plays the three four in the WNBA, and like we have guys that like are grown men that help me out. They refuse to play her now. They're like, bro, it's not <laughs> even the fact that I lose; it's the fact that I just get like physically dominated. It's, it's just like, I feel terrible about myself. So. How many, how many times? How many times? How many arguments has there been on court between uh, you and Napisa playing one on one? Has there ever been where you really? Because you're both competitive as hell. I mean, yeah. you know, that just is what it is. Yeah, it's had to have happened every time. Well, every single he, time. The problem. The problem isn't during. It's she just fabricates what happened afterwards. So like everyone, we she'd be like, "Hey, Alex, why don't you tell him about how I just." didn't even let you score in one-on-one. I was like, the game was super tight. Like, right, she just fly, and it just pisses me off. So, that's our that's my issue. It's like, I don't mind taking L's. Like, you know, right. like, you're a professional. You're one of the best players in the league. You should be winning. Right. You know, like, this is what you do. Right. But don't sit there. Don't sit there and lie to people either. Oh, don't act like I'm not winning either. So. Can you guys even play Scrabble at home or no? She refuses to play Monopoly now. Like, because I <laughs> – she never wins. She's the worst board game player in the world. So is that that's your claim right there? Because she'll beat you one on one. But if yeah. as long as you can hold on to Monopoly, we'll be. All right. Yeah, I'm fine. I just gotta t I just gotta get the last the last win of the night, and I'm good. You know. I hear you. It's 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 flip flopped in uh in my apartment. My girlfriend is not a hooper. She's athletic, but she's not a hooper. So she but she wants to play one on one because she's just like fiery Italian. She always wants to like compete yeah. at everything, and then. I'll kill her in one-on-one -on -one because we don't take it easy on anybody. She doesn't get the score. Yep. And then we'll come home and we'll play like seven games of Scrabble and she'll beat me 7-0. And I'll end up throwing the board and be like, <laughs> I'll pick it up tomorrow, but I don't want to talk to you or see you right now. That's just 
is hilarious because I figured I had to ask because I know, you know, her being at the, the top of, uh, you know, her profession in the WNBA and you being somebody who's been, you know, competitive and around basketball and at the top of your profession in, in skill training. Yeah. She's, I would like to see a little bit more footage of these games. That way she can't fabricate it. I know we have them. Trust me. I, but I'm smart because like, I have to keep her happy, you know? So it's like, yeah. until we actually sign those papers and like <laughs> exchange the vows, I'm going to be a little bit more strategic about how I do that. Yeah. Just keep, just keep them in the, in the file folders. Keep right. them in the file folders. Hey. Okay. All right. So, all right, real quick, Alex. So talk a lot about Kobe. Um, you know, somebody who is known for being one of the most competitive uh, basketball players in the world, arguably the best player in the world. In my book, he's up there at number one. That's a different conversation. But what separated him, whether it was as a player, whether it was as a person, you got to see retired Kobe. You got to see Kobe around his, his daughter and their team. We talk about putting, you know, 11-year-old girls through hell week. But my biggest thing is I love surrounding myself with, you know, people like you um, and myself and Kyle Guy and all these people that I bring on because they're trying to look at things in a different light and trying to figure out because there's always similarities with people who have separated themselves from the pack. Kobe, obviously, you know, somebody we all look to as how did he separate himself? So tell me what you thought made Kobe Bryant so different. Um, I think – I think what made Kobe different was he just empowered so many people and like just specifically he he's empowered. I watched him empower a group of 11 year old girls to really like dream and go after a dream and to be able to see, I, I think he understood that the, the greatest gift he could ever give was just an inspiration, right? If you can inspire someone to try to achieve their own greatness, which is what the Mamba mentality stood for, that was everything to him. Right. And the fact that he was willing to go out of his way to empower me in my you know, personal business or empower WNBA athletes or empower the next generation of NBA athletes. Um, but just to see that up close on a weekly basis with just the girls that, you know, he, they're not in the spotlight, right? There's not going to be stories that come of, Kobe, look what Kobe's doing for this person, the way, like, you know, he can do in the WNBA or the NBA, because those are always great stories. But he did it so selflessly that I think he showed everyone who was in that circle how to be just a better person, right? It doesn't matter who you are or how much fame you have. Like, at the end of the day, it just comes down to, like, how can I help this person get to where they want to go? Yeah. And then my life will fall in line accordingly because I'm a big believer in, in karma and everything comes back around and, and just the way Kobe did things. And he never asked for anything in return um, from anyone. He was just, he would just go out of his way and it would never come of, Hey, Kobe, can you do this? Like you didn't ever have to ask. He would already, he would already do it. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing that I'll, I'll always appreciate and remember that what he stood for. Yeah, and I couldn't, I couldn't have asked for a better soundbite right there because the biggest thing that I think is everybody understands Kobe's a competitor. Everybody understands that if he was playing, you know, his grandmother or his mother or anybody, he's going to beat him 11-0 if that's what they're playing to. He doesn't care. People know that. But hearing that side of it, which I think is this underlying thing, because you, you look at um, the Michael Jordan documentary uh, that just came out, obviously, um, similarities there, guys pushing each other. You know, how he pushed his NBA teammates is going to be different 
than how he pushes, you know, an 11 year old girl to achieve something that she might not have ever, you know, assumed she could do um, yeah. is really the coolest thing that I've heard thus far uh, because I was raised on the fact that the best players, the best CEOs, the best, um, you know, chefs, whatever it is, the best people in the world are those not only who are the most competitive, but those who bring the best out of others. You know, we, we talk about walking on the floor every day here. Um, and I was raised on the fact of go out there. And the only way you have a good day is if you make somebody else better around you. So hearing yep. that about Kobe is probably the coolest thing, um, you know, that I've heard thus far. So I appreciate uh, you sharing that with us. And before I let you go, Al, we're going to do um, a little game. Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Subject to Change in the books. Just had my guy Alex Bazell on the show. And we talked about Kobe, Gigi, Trey, Carmelo, anything that he's done in his professional training career. We talked about it. And before he goes, we're going to play a little game called How Many. Some of these games are hypothetical, one-on-ones. Others he's actually played. He's going to tell us, after I give him a name, what the score would be, 2-11, ones and twos. You ready, Al? Ready. All right, let's do it. So we talked about Kobe all day. We're going to start with the legend. You told us a story, but how many are you putting up against Mamba? Uh, I thought I was going to actually be able to compete, and then, like, he got out there and demonstrated a couple moves, and I was like, I'm not scoring. Like, he's just – he was so strong. I was like, I'm probably not scoring. But I'm going to give myself – I'm going to give myself three. I'm going to hit a three, and I'm going to get one, like, trash bucket, I think. <laughs> trash bucket, and you're going to yeah. 500K, right? Yeah, it's not going to be ideal. So, <laughs> If you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to the rest of the pod. Number two, uh, Sabrina. Sabrina. I'm winning that matchup. I'm winning that really? matchup. Yeah, I'm winning that matchup. It's probably eleven to uh, eleven to eight, but I'm eleven to eight dub. Yeah, okay. you can add her too. Definitely gonna add her because she's, she's hurt right now, bro. She's 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 hurt. Like it's an easy that's an easy win. <laughs> All right, so you worked a lot with Carmelo, and we talked a little bit about you know you training him. What's a one on one look like? Even though there's a little size differential, what are we what are we looking at with Melo? Yeah, that's an issue. That's my issue. So. The problem is he's just going to shoot over me. And then if it gets tight, he's just going to bulldoze his way past me and bully me. Right. Um, that game's probably 11 to 4, 11 to 5. 11-4, 11-5. Okay. Still not, not, not bad. We'll, we'll take that. All right. Number four, arguably the best handles, biggest bag, I think, in the league right now. You versus Kyrie Irving to 11. Okay. So here's the story on that. We one day we play. He came in. He's like, "Yo, we're gonna play once today." I was like, "All right, cool." So we play eleven spots. Okay, eleven spots to three, and you had to validate by hitting two free throws in a row. So if you got three buckets, you have to make two free throws in a row, and you go to the next spot. So when I tell you, I couldn't have played better that day. I've never played as good as that day in my entire life. He won seven. I won four. The next day, he comes back pissed. Like he's like, "We're playing again." He won all eleven games, and I don't think I got to like two on any of the spots so one game i'm gonna give myself three or four if he locks in i'm in i'm in deep trouble i got you i got you all right number five uh one of the best players in wnba candace parker um candace again she's got size the size on, on me and length so and she's got experience and she flops if there's a ref i'm in i'm in real deep shit but I'll probably give Candace that win. No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not giving Candace that. No, I'm not. Because she's going to – I'm going to hear about it for the next 
three years. So I'm winning that game 11 to 10. 11-10? All right, yeah. so tight, tight one down the stretch. Might need a ref involved in that one. Uh, number six, uh, my guy who I recently just linked up with, uh, but a guy you've been training, Sky Clark to 11. That, hey, high school kids, it's not going to be close. I'm winning that game 11-3. to three. I'm definitely – I might just text Sky right now that yeah. you just said that. I'll, I'll text him too. Put me in the group. I'll validate what you said. <laughs> you said 11-2? 11-2, 11-3. Listen – he that like experience wise, he's gonna do stuff that like he's gonna overcomplicate it because that's the way high school kids are, and I'm just gonna pick them apart. It's that's an easy win. All right, eleven two against Sky Clark. Alex is taking it. I I might need to see that one. All right. right, uh, uh, you you talked a little bit about early on in your career with Doug McDermott. What's uh what's a ones look like to eleven with him, Dougie McBuckets. We haven't played since probably three years ago when we played King of the Hill with him and me and Trey. And I took the first spot, then Trey won, and then Doug took two spots in a row to win it. But now, again, Doug's 6'9". People don't realize how big he is. Yeah. Uh, Doug would probably win that game 11-7. I'm probably giving myself seven. Okay. All right. I got you. I got you. Um, all right. Here's the big one. Uh, you versus Wifey, Nafisa versus you to eleven. No, no embellishing. She, it's got to be straight up. We talked about how she's got a little issue with telling people uh, and exaggerating a little bit. But what's that score look like? Um, I guess you'd have to average it out on based on how many games you guys have played. Like, what's a normal game look like? We go. We usually go a seven game series, like leading up in a two week span, leading up to like training camp. So, I I think she won the series this year. But we always go seven games usually. Oh, it's like tight. If she, yeah, if she gets on a roll though, like if she got something like her mid range is just pretty much unstoppable. So if she gets on a roll, I'm in deep trouble. But right. I have the quickness on her, so it's just honestly, it's usually about who has the ball last. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't. I'm gonna give myself the win though. Again, I'm not. Um, I mean. Come on, I'm the man of the house, bro. I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, I got game. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta roll with confidence. I love that. <laughs> I love it. All right, here we go. Number 10. Uh, this is for my own curiosity. All right, me versus you to 11. If yeah. I flew out to L.A. right now, what's that score look like? Now, let, go ahead. Let me hear. You don't want – you don't want that smoke. So, we know you're smoke. not – yeah, you're not catching that flight. So – well, let's just stop talking I'm about I'm not catching the flight for financial reasons, not because of the smoke. I'm okay with the smoke. That's the right, issue. Don't bring it up with me, bro. Don't get mad at me. Um, see, again, I have the size advantage on you, but your quickness, the lateral, the quickness that's like you and Trey, that's where I would struggle with. So, right. but I'm winning that game, bro. I'm winning that game. It's close. I'll probably give you eight, seven. You're in good shape. All right, so you gave you gave Sky four, you gave me eight, and Sky's a buck. All right, that's okay. Yeah. All right, so this is what's gonna happen. That's the game. That's how many. Uh, hope you guys all listen to the pod. But after that final answer, next summer, whether you know we're in a global pandemic or not, <laughs> I will hitchhike my ass out to L.A., St. Louis, wherever you're at. I'll meet you halfway. Playing. I'll okay, meet you halfway. <laughs> well, if we meet halfway from L.A., we'll be in like Colorado or something, which won't be bad. Right. Whatever. Uh, but we are going to play that one-on-one -on -one game. Alex Bazaar, I appreciate you jumping on the pod. You are the man. Thank you very much, brother. 
All right, my man. Appreciate right. you.